Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convict, convert, consecrate, and make us wholly yours through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. There's a poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins entitled Patience. And the first line resonates with me quite deeply. He begins, patience, hard thing, exclamation point. Patience, hard thing. I remember when I was younger, some of you all have had this experience too, I'm sure, hearing someone say, Lord, give me patience, and someone else would say, oh no, don't pray that. That's dangerous, bad things will happen. And Hopkins in his poem thinks that we should pray for patience, or at least he thinks that he should pray for patience. But he also recognizes the danger. The poem says that the one who asks for patience wants war, wants wounds, weary his times, his tasks. Patience is hard, isn't it? Waiting is weary work, isn't it? The Apostle Paul thinks so. You heard this reading from Romans 8. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have several women who are expecting children, one who's giving birth just this week. Those of you who have carried children in your womb know how weary the work of waiting is. Or as the Andrew Peterson song puts it, do you feel the world is broken? And the choir responds with vigor, we do. Creation groans. It seems like lately I keep having these conversations with folks who are feeling the pressure and the brokenness of the world. And maybe that's you as well. Who are feeling the pain of old wounds that they still carry around, the experience of injustice or unfairness toward them, just the thoughtlessness of other people, the ache of longing unfulfilled. We groan inwardly as we wait for redemption, Scripture says. And our instinct and our inclination is to say, where is God in all this? Why doesn't he act? When will he intervene? Come on, Lord, any time. And that's when we need words like Psalm 86. Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and in misery. We need Romans chapter 8 to tell us it's okay to pray this way. But we also need to hear Jesus' parable from Matthew chapter 13. Just like the parable we heard last week, it's the story of a field, of seeds scattered, planted, growing, But suddenly, one of the workers comes running in and he says, Master, there are weeds mixed in with the wheat. It's a disaster. What happened? Is the whole crop ruined? Lord, if this is really your world, your field, why is it like this? Lord, if this is really your church, why is it sometimes so screwed up? 
How can people act the way they do, say the things they say? How can Christians hurt people the way they sometimes hurt people? They, I mean, not not me, of course, but those other Christians, right? Uh Uh-oh. The servants of the master came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he answers, an enemy has done this. We have an enemy, Scripture says, who's trying to confuse and supplant God's good work. There are demonic forces in the world seeking whom they may devour. There is evil that distorts and corrupts society. There is sin, even God help us in the church. There are deep flaws even in our own hearts. There's weeds mixed in with the wheat. How'd those get there? An enemy has done this. And the workers in their zeal say, well, master, should we yank them out? Let's set this right. But then the master says something really strange. He says, no, no, wait. Let them grow for now, lest you damage some of the grain as well. There will be a separation, but wait until the harvest. The weeds only go in the furnace when all the wheat is ready to safely go in my barn. And I think I want to suggest this parable teaches us something really important about God. First of all, that he is a God of justice. A God who recognizes the work of the enemy, who intends to sort out good and evil, who will set things right. Jesus interprets his own parable as a parable of judgment, at least in part. But what we also see in this parable is a God who exercises patience. Who's zealous for righteousness, but also gentle for the sake of those he loves. And the patience of God is painful for us. The patience of God is painful for us because we're aching, right? We're groaning. We want evil to be cleansed. We want God to put a stop to wickedness. We see bad things happening in the world. We shout, do something. And we should. Right? The workers are right to be angry that an enemy has infiltrated and sown bad seed in the master's field. That's bad. Right? These readings make it abundantly clear that God hates evil. Those who work wickedness or cause others to stumble will receive their just reward. And we're supposed to want that. If you don't believe me, read the book of Revelation sometime. The souls of the martyrs cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, O Lord? But what we forget too easily is what Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. O God, judge the wicked! Wait, if God were really less patient, am I quite sure that I wouldn't end up on the burn pile? 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God patient? Because weeds and wheat can look pretty darn similar at first. Because it takes time to accomplish his work in us. If you've ever had a garden, any farmer knows, it takes a lot of slow, difficult labor if you want a good harvest. You don't plant the seeds and come out the next day. Hooray, I can harvest the fruit now. It's not like that. And God doesn't want to lose any of those in whom the word takes root and grows, even if we grow slowly. It takes a long time for us to bear the fruit of repentance. The patience of God is painful for us, but the patience of God is also a great mercy toward us. As much as it stymies and frustrates us sometimes, the patience of God is not against us. God is patient because God is for us. If you read a few verses further on in Romans chapter 8, and we'll hear this next Sunday, St. Paul says not only do we groan, the Holy Spirit within us cries out with groanings too deep for words. He joins us. The Spirit of God speaks on our behalf, sustaining our prayers, taking them deeper than our own words can get. Which is to say that when creation groans and when we groan for redemption, when we yearn for the harvest to be gathered in, God wants that too. God is waiting with us. God is patient with us, not just toward us, but alongside us. Do you see that? St. Paul says, in this hope we were saved, hope for justice, and for restoration, and for joy. But then what else does he say? Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God is patient and we are supposed to be like our master. Expecting God's action, confident that he will act, trusting that his waiting is for our good. That doesn't make patience not hard. But I think it does change the way patience works for us if to understand the patience of God, or at least it should. First of all, it changes how we should respond to ourselves, to our own failures, our own brokenness. Some of us are tempted to say, I have done so many awful things. I've failed so many times. I've gotten it so desperately wrong. I, surely God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. You ever heard someone say that? Don't assume that you and your smallness and your humanity can measure the limits of God's mercy. Some of us are tempted to say, okay, I've repented, and I believe God has forgiven me. I do, I believe that. But I also know that I've wrecked the story. I've screwed up so badly God can't really make my life fruitful in the same way he could have before. Like That's just gone. Don't assume that the God who took Saul, the destroyer of Christianity, and made him an apostle capable of writing something like Romans chapter 8, 
Don't assume that that God can't take the weed patch of your failure and turn it into something worth gathering in at the harvest. If you'll turn to him with your whole heart. Some of us are tempted to get frustrated when we fall into an old pattern. We find ourselves stumbling some way that we use. I thought I beat this like five years ago. Why is this happening again? I was supposed to be done with this. I just never seem to change. I just can't seem to get it right. Grace is stronger than you think. Change is possible. Not in your strength. But the one who planted the seed is watching and cultivating, but it takes time for wheat to grow. Sometimes we have to keep turning to God and trusting his patience. And as we learn to accept God's patience for ourselves, second, we start to learn also how to exercise God's patience towards other people. People in our families, people at our work, people in the church, people out in the world. It's hard. And hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't confront misbehavior or challenge evil. Again, remember, Jesus is teaching about judgment. Be zealous for justice. God is. But don't pull out the wheat together with the weeds. Again, remember, St. Paul murdered Christians before he became one. Don't assume you know the limits of what God can accomplish in a human heart, maybe even the heart of your enemy. And yes, there were consequences. But can you imagine how Ananias felt when God said, you know Saul of Tarsus, that fellow you've heard about who keeps hunting down Christians and throwing them in prison and standing there nodding his head in agreement when Christians are stoned to death, that's all? So I've struck him with blindness. Yes. I want you to go heal him. Wait, what? You're kidding, right? That's all? Lord, are, are you sure? You, you've, you've heard about this, Saul? God says, no, I have plans for him. I'm going to take this barren ground full of weeds and I'm going to make it fruitful. Sometimes the word is just beginning to blossom in someone's heart. It's fragile and a word of condemnation and rejection might drive them away. And the Lord doesn't want that person driven away. Ezekiel chapter 33, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. He wants to extend mercy to our brother or our sister or our enemy, that person in your life. He wants them to know his love. Again, that doesn't mean we should say that a weed is really grain, that they're the same thing. They're clearly not. There are two things. And ultimately, God is going to divide them. Part of my role as a priest is to call people to repentance. Turn from your sin and live. Repent. Convert. Return to God. 
but we always have to add and live. You know why God hates sin? Because it corrupts and it damages and it destroys the creatures he loves. God hates sin because God is for us and not against us. And it's easy to make strong judgments about people. Looks like a weed to me. Yank. In the compost. But I don't know what God is doing and how he's at work. I don't see the whole story. I don't know what fruit his patience might bear. And what tiny shoot I might damage if I'm too eager to rip up some roots. And I won't know. Unless... I'm really walking in his love toward them. Unless I'm speaking from that same heart of mercy, unless I'm abiding in God's patience. We serve a patient God, and that means even in our frustration and our righteous anger and our zeal for justice, it behooves us to remember and cultivate the fruit of patience in our own lives. Put simply, the patience of God is the gospel. Because it's good news for sinners. That this God who is a God of justice, who will bring judgment, is also patient with us. Some of you all may remember, if you've ever read Les Mis or you've seen the movie, watched the musical. In the beginning, Jean Valjean is an ex-convict. He's been in the galleys for 19 years. And he's released. And of course, as an ex-con, no innkeeper will give him a place to stay. He can't find refuge anywhere. The only place he can get shelter is with the local bishop. But he's bitter. He feels that he's been mistreated. Well, his judgment was pretty unjust, actually. He doesn't know any other life. And so in the night, he gets up and he steals the silver and he bolts for it. And of course, he's caught. The police drag him back. We've captured this thief. He's abused your kindness. He's taken advantage of you. He's had his second chance. He blew it. And the bishop's response is so astounding. Do you remember this? He says, Oh, my dear friend, you left in such a hurry that you forgot the two candlesticks. And he hands him the silver candlesticks off the mantelpiece. And the police scratch their heads say, I'm confused, but I guess I'll leave now. We must have misunderstood. Jean Valjean doesn't change completely in that moment. But that's the turning point. When he was not rejected or abandoned or given up on, when he seemed beyond saving, he'd had his second chance, and yet he receives mercy, he encounters patience. This is what God is like. Don't pull out the weeds right now. You might damage the weed as well. You don't know how God is at work in his field. Exercise this hard patience. A difficult thing. Wait for the harvest. Please pray with me.
Father, we thank you for the wonderful patience that you extend to sinners, that you extend to us so many times. Thank you that you who are most holy and just are also the most merciful, more than we know or can imagine. That you don't just write us off, but you seek our salvation. You work faithfully to make us fruitful. May we cooperate in that work. May we become like you. As we accept your mercy, teach us to show that same mercy to others and to exercise that same patience that when the harvest comes, we can share in the joy of our master. That together with all those you gather in. We may join the righteous ones who shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.